I'm going to start out with a joke this morning. Sarah told me a joke, and I think I used it a long time ago, but I think I'm going to use it again. You see, there was this uh, young gal, and she had had a wreck, and she went to the pearly gates, and, and uh, St. Peter met her there and said, well, to come on through, you got to spell a word. And uh-oh, she's like, I'm not good at spelling. And uh, he said, it's quite all right. It's an easy word. It's what God does for you. The word is love. And she said, well, that's easy. L-O-V-E. He said, see, I told you. Come on and enter into the gate. And as she walked through, he said, wait a minute. The Lord's calling me. I've got a meeting with him here for a minute. Can you man the gate and do the same thing for the next person that comes through? She said, well, I guess I can handle that. So she's sitting there, and lo and behold, the next person that came up was an ex-husband. <laughs> and she said, hey, whoa, Buster, before you come through the gates, you've got to spell a word. He said, oh, really? He said, who left you in charge? St. Peter did. He had to go meet with the Lord. You've got to spell a word, just like I did. He said, okay, what word is that? She said, Czechoslovakia. <laughs> You see, we don't always have as much grace for folks as the Lord does, right? Aren't you glad it's He that judges us and that He that loves us and is going to provide for us, right? All right, today, it's a privilege and an honor to deliver to you a principle from the Word of God that I hope will be useful for you the rest of your life. It's going to talk about faith. And you know, the Christian community is always talking about faith, and we talk about our faith, and we talk about things. But do we really, do we really have that? Is, is it really real? You know, I think sometimes we've used it so much that we've kind of become immune to that word. I want to talk about real faith. And you know what real faith is? A faith that's real to you. That whenever you are in a circumstance that the word of God, that his presence and his power is real to you in that circumstance. That's what a real faith is. And so we're going to talk about something that happened about 3,900 years ago. I want to tell you something though. It's true. It happened. And you know why it's written in that word? Because it says it was written for our learning. Because it applies to us just as much today as it did to Abram back 3,900 and some years ago. Now, we're going to see, if you want to turn your Bibles with me today, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 15. Genesis 15. And there we're going to see that it says, The word of the Lord came to Abram. You know what? Whenever that says that, that means it's coming to you and I as well. It is coming to you and I the same as it was to Abraham right there. And his name is soon going to be changed to Abraham. And in Romans chapter 4, Paul there, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said that Abraham is the father of our faith. That we look to him as the example of the faith that we desire to have. We need to be modeled after that. So with that as our motivation to desire to learn about our example... Let's turn there, if you're with me, and follow along as we read the first six verses of Genesis chapter 15 together. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. I am your exceeding great reward. 
But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me? Seeing that I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, the one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord again came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And he brought him outside, and he said, Look, Look toward the heaven, and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And then the next verse says that Abraham believed in the Lord, and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. Ah, Back up there at verse 1 of our text. It says, after these things. So if we're going to know what Abraham is worried about and what's going on in his life, we've got to know what those things are because it's after these things that this is happening. So let's take a little journey on after these things and what's been going on. You see, he's like us. He's been struggling here with problems. He's sitting here. And I know from my sheet of paper and I know from talking with each one of you on the phone or in text messages or here that almost every person here has something going on in life right now every person we've got people of our number of our loved ones that had a father just pass away and his work's not letting him go out there to to see the burial and pay the final respects got a lady with her children up with the mom that's under hospice care that's any moment Got people that's going with surgeries right now coming up. Got people that's got issues at home and with family and with children and with grandchildren. Got people who's got diseases right now that they're battling. Almost every one of us has a problem that we take to the Lord, don't we? Abram is just like you and I, he's got a problem and he's got some issues and he's got doubts. He's got fears. He's got the same anxiety that you and I have. And he's got the same issues with God that we sometimes have. I want to take you through this now. After these things, Abraham began this journey a little over ten years ago. He was in the Ur of the Chaldees. He was there with his family. And the Lord called him to get up and to leave this country. To leave those people behind and get moving and go to a place that I'm going to show you. And he did that, and he's been now on this journey for 10 years, and he's faced a famine and went down to Egypt. He's came back, his brother died before he left, and he took Lot, his brother's son, underneath his wing. His father died right before he left. He goes now into this journey, he's got problems, he's got issues, but the Lord blessed him. In marvelous ways throughout the problems that he had. And I want that to be the first point. The Lord is still continuing to bless you through the problems that you have. And we're going to see some of those. All of a sudden, their, their cattle, their herds, their expanse begins to grow. It gets a little too large from the way the Lord's blessing. And the servants of Lot and the servants of Abram 
began to get into some, some discussions, some arguments over pastures and over water. And Abram said, look, my young uh, nephew, we are brothers. Let's not let this thing divide us. You, I'm, going, I'm going to let you pick. You look out among the area. If you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I will go left. But I'll let you choose. And it says that Lot lifted up his eyes on that. And he said, I'm going to go to the plains of the city. And it says there that Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom. So the valley was beautiful. This was before the Lord had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And it was almost like the garden of God, it says there in Genesis chapter 13. But he pitched his tent towards Sodom, it says, and Abram went the other way. And I want you to underline that phrase in your Bible if you have it. It's Genesis 13 and verse 12. Because that is a warning to you and I. Your tent is your dwelling. It's your life. It's, it's about what your desire is to be. And if you're pitching your tent toward Sodom, it's going to come to bite you in the butt in a big way. And it does lot. It does lot right here because next we find out in chapter 14 that there's these kings. There's five cities in the plain. It's not just Sodom and Gomorrah. There's five cities and they're all in a circle around there. And that circle today is the Dead Sea. Because that's after the Lord rained down the fire and brimstone and Lot's wife's going to turn back and look and she turns to a pillar of salt. And now that's the Dead Sea. Nothing ever is going to be good there again. But at this time it was a lush valley. And he pitched his tent in that direction. And he was living there. And those five kings of the city were conquered by four kings from the outlying nations. And one of them is Kedeliomer, which is mentioned here in the scripture as a mighty king from the nation of Elam. And the other kings of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and the five, they rebel against this. They've been under their thumb for 12 years. And so in the 13th year, they rebel. So the next year, Kedeliomer and four, three other kingdoms come down and they take the cities... They take all of the plunder of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and they take the women and some of the men and Lot is one of them. And somebody escapes from that and they run and they go out to the trees of Mamre where Abraham has his tent pitched and they tell him that your nephew Lot is in trouble and they've captured him. And, and then you know what it says next? It says that... Uh, Abram, in chapter 14 of Genesis and verse 14, Abram, the man of God, armed his trained servants that had been born in his house, and he pursued them. And it says that there was about 318 men that he armed, and they went out after him. And I'm going to call a timeout right here. (laughs) Because I want you to know something. You have the right to bear arms. You have the right to protect your family and your loved ones. You do it in a righteous way. But when evil comes into your neck of the woods, I want you to know that you have the right to protect yourself 
and your family. And it's right here as the first thing in the very first book of the Bible. And you know what it says? It goes on down and in verses 18 through 20, Melchizedek, this mysterious king and priest of Salem, which is later to be called Jerusalem, he comes and he honors Abraham and Abraham gives him a tenth of the spoil. But then it says this, this priest says, Blessed be the Most High God, he is the priest, high priest of God, which hath delivered thy enemies into thy hand. The Lord God was with Abram in the battle with his trained servants. They trained and they armed and they persevered. So I want you to know, first of all, that that is a valid point. And the Lord blessed those efforts by being with them and bringing them back. So they brought back Lot. They brought back the spoil. And the, the king of Sodom then said, you can have the spoil. We'll just take the people back. And Abraham moved by the Spirit of God said, no, I don't want that, lest at some point in the future you will say that you are the one who made me to prosper. And that is not going to be. My God is the one who will cause me to prosper. And so he moves on now, and whoo, that's where we are in chapter 15. You thought I forgot, didn't you, where we were at? <laughs> He's like, oh, where's he going? I thought we were in chapter 15. No, I didn't forget because it starts off after these things. And I wanted you to know what these things are that we're talking about. He's been busy. He's had all kinds. He's, he's had problems in family. He's been traveling everywhere. He's had to go to battle against these kings. And now it says, after these things... After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. So after these things, what he's telling him is, and what that's saying to me, if you look at it, he's afraid and the Lord's trying to comfort him in his fear. And you say, what does Abraham have to be afraid of? Man, he's got trained troops, he just scored a great victory, why is he acting like this? Well, I want to tell you something. And I've told a few of you, whenever you've came to me and we've talked, that after every great spiritual victory, after a good day, there's always going to come a letdown because the devil never stops going after you. You might have won something today, but I guarantee you he's coming back tonight or tomorrow. And he is like a roaring lion, always seeking whom he can devour. And he will pit all kinds of people against you in this walk that you're going through to bring you down. You think, today I'm on the mountain, but he comes after you. And that's where Abraham is. He's sitting down now. He's, he's come down with a letdown. He's got doubts, fears, the pressures of life, just like you and I do, and what we live with every day. And so, he sits down and he begins to start thinking. How many times do we do this? Instead of thinking about how great a battle just happened and how great the Lord is, you know why it says, fear not? Because now, and the Lord gives us a clue. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Because you know what happens? Abram sits down and the adrenaline's gone. I mean, when the battle's there, 
And when you're doing that, man, you're pressing on, you're persevering, but after that and you're let down and you sit at home, guess what happens next? He starts thinking. And as he starts thinking, he begins to imagine things. Yeah, we do too. Let me give you a clue of what he's imagining. He sits down and he says, Wow, I won that, but I stuck my nose into his business and now this king is going to go back home with his other three allies and he might come back with 100,000 men after me to, to revenge on me because of what I did. He's got fear. And he's also thinking, you know, I left a lot on the table out there when I said the Lord will be my provider and I don't need your goods. And I left a lot out there and now I'm thinking I could have had it made. I could have been set. But I didn't. And he's got these doubts. Have you ever done that? You ever sat down and think, man, I should have. Man, what happens if, you know, at work somebody... The boss recognized you and now you're worried about the repercussions of your co-workers. I mean, he's sitting here thinking of all of these things after the battle. And the Lord has to come to him. And I want you to know that when it says the word of the Lord came to Abram, the word of the Lord can come to you at any moment you want. All you got to do is open that book up. Whenever you look at it, the word of the Lord is coming to you. And it's there with all of its promises And all of its doctrines for you. All of these promises are in the word of God for you and I. We have to turn those things over to him. He knows. He knew before you were even born. What you are going to go through. And he's got the answers already prepared. He's got the way planned if you will follow him. You know what he told Jeremiah in chapter 1 verse 5? Before I formed you in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I knew you, I sanctified you, and I ordained you a prophet to the nations. You see, the Lord already knows the end from the beginning. And He says, I know what you're going to go through. I ordained you for this. I am there with you every step of the way if you will follow me. And the vision comes, fear not. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward if you will seek after me diligently. Don't worry about those things, but begin to live a life that trusts in me and in these promises that I bring to you in my word. Oh, that word for reward there when he says, I am thy exceeding great reward. I want you to notice He's not just our reward. He uses two big adjectives there, doesn't he? Exceeding great reward. And that word for reward is sakar. And I tell you that because that word means a benefit. It means something that came about through something like a contract. When you become a child of God, God makes a covenant with you. And the good thing is, it's not so much about us, it's about Him. It's about Him fulfilling His covenant, not about us fulfilling anything with God. Because He knows we can't. So what He is telling Abram here is, I am your reward. I am your exceeding great reward. You are my child, and when you chose to follow me, and to become part of my family, 
You've got benefits that goes along with that. And that is me. I am your reward and I am your shield. I am going to be the one who takes care of you. I got you covered. And oh, by the way, I want you and I to know that just in case you don't want to claim that promise out of Genesis that he's our exceeding great reward, we got the same promise to the church right here in the book of Ephesians chapter 3. I want you, at verse 20, I want you to underline as a promise to you. We need these promises of God in our life. Do you know it? Listen to the, to the context of this promise. For this cause, Paul says, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family, and I'm looking at you right now, the whole family in heaven and on earth is named, that He would grant us according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might by His power in our inner man. That's where your strength is going to come from. And that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you can then be rooted and grounded in love. When you begin to realize the love of Christ for you, your heart is rooted and grounded. And provide you steadiness. That you then will be able to comprehend with all of the saints. What is the breadth, the length, the depth, the height. This is four dimensional, not three. And that you will know the love of Christ. And how does he describe the love of Christ for us? It surpasses all knowledge that you could even have of what his love is for you. That you might be filled with the fullness of God. And then he gives you this promise. Now unto him who is able. He's what? I want you to believe that he is able to do for you exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you can ask or even think. You can't even think of the abundance of what he can do for you according to what? That works in who? It's already in us. You are a child of God. The Spirit and Christ lives and dwells within you. His love is something that you can't even fathom. And I have the ability. It's already in you. If you will trust in me, I have the ability to provide for you exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you can ask or think. So then unto Him... Be the glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout ages and world without ends. Amen. That is a promise to us. My question is, will we believe it? Will we claim it? And will we use it in this walk of life? He is our reward. That makes sense right now, doesn't it? It makes sense when we're sitting here all together in the church and there's really nothing going on. But what happens when we go through the doors and the world and reality hits us again? I'm glad you asked because that's what we're going to find out next with Abram. Okay, let's look back up there at verses 2 and 3 of Genesis 15. Abram said, Lord God, okay, you've promised me this. And I understand that. But Lord God, what will thou give me seeing I go childless? The steward of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, or look, 
Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is my heir. And I say, man, when I meditated on that this week in the original language, I went, "Uh uh-oh. You didn't just do that, did you, Abram? (laughs) You really just didn't say that to God, did you? You know what he's saying right there? Let Let me tell you what he's saying. God says, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to be your reward. And this is throwing something back up into God's face is actually what he's doing. Because I want you to know what he is doing here. Ten years ago, back in chapter 12, God promised him, you've came out of her and you are walking in the land I gave you and I promise. I'm going to give this land to your descendants to live in forever. I will give them this land, the ones that come from your body. And so now, after this battle, and he's worried that four kings and their men are going to come back after him, and the Lord says, I'm your shield, he says, but Lord, how can you do anything for me that powerful when I don't even have a child? You promised me ten years ago you would give me one. And that my descendants was going to come. And you haven't fulfilled that. So how can I trust in this one? I don't think any of you's ever done that, have you? None of us. I can't say me either or I'd get struck right now. How many of us have come into another problem. And the problems before doesn't seem like they've been solved for us and so now you begin to lose some hope you begin to start thinking the Lord's not really listening to me and my prayers he's is he really there are these promises really for me because man 10 years ago I asked for a child and you promised a child and said I'm going to have one from my descendants and now you're telling me you can protect me from these kings and you ain't even giving me a child the one that is my heir is Eliezer of Damascus, you know, from that place over there, not from this place. He's one of my hired hands that was born in my house, and I love him like a son, but you promised me a true son, Lord. Wow, that's what he just did. Then he says, I'm glad that verse 4 breaks in here about now, because it should comfort you and I that after Abram really kind of got back in the Lord's grill a little bit. If it was me, just like I said a minute ago, I'd have been running for shelter because I'm thinking a lightning bolt. It's about like when James and John, the sons of Boanerges, said to Jesus, shall we bring the lightning down, Lord? Do you want us to get him now? And the Lord said, no. That was grace, wasn't it? The Lord had grace on Abram, and he's got grace on us when we do that. I want you to know he's got some big shoulders. He doesn't get real easily offended like that. He realizes that Abram wasn't saying this to be evil. Abram is saying this because he's frustrated, he's hurting, and it's on his heart. And so when the Lord says, I'm going to do this for you, he spills his heart back to him in a way that says, Lord, but you promised me. And how can I continue to go on believing since you haven't fulfilled that one yet? So verse 4 breaks in. I mean, it's easy for everyone to have a child, right? Look at all the other people. Even the people in my household under the servants. If you can't provide me a child, how can you save me from all of this? You ever been there? Why is everybody else and I'm not? So God in grace and patience, He does something while He's questioning Him. The Lord says, 
that another word from the Lord came to him. You know, when you begin to question and you begin to doubt, it's time to open the book again and allow it to fill you with some more faith, some more words of encouragement. So the word of the Lord came to Abram saying, this one, this Eliezer, he's not going to be your heir, but one that shall come forth out of your own loins shall be your heir, my child. And the lights go out. And the Lord grabs Abram by the hand. And he says, come outside with me, son. Come outside with me. And he leads him out by the hand. And he says, look. And it's, it's pitch black. When you're in the middle of nowhere and there's no lights, there's no electricity. It's pitch black in there. And he says, I want you to do something for me, Abram. I want you to look up. The next time you begin to doubt God in your life, the next time you begin to think He's not really thinking of me, He's not powerful enough, He's not answering my prayer, He's not doing. And you can't sleep at night because you're worried. I want you to go outside. Promise me. You're going to go outside. And I want you to get to as dark a place as possible and I want you to look up. He took Abram and he said, look up. And look at those stars, Abram. Can you count them? Ask, can you count them? You know what I did? I asked Google. I said, Google, how many stars are there? Can I count them? You know what Google came back with? There are 10 billion galaxies I think it was, I said, yeah, 10 billion galaxies visible to our eyes. Say, and this is quoting from there, say there are 100 billion stars on the average in every galaxy, that is 100 or 1 billion trillion stars. That's a 1 with 24 zeros behind it. We can't even imagine that. And that's visible. That's not counting the invisible. And he says, Abram, I want you to look up there. Can you count them? And you know what he's basically saying to you and I? With our troubles and our doubts and our fears that we go through. He says, when you're in that position, go outside and look up at the stars. Guess who created those stars? With one word... I said, light be and light was. With one word, I said, stars be and stars was. I've got all kinds of words for you with the same power in my Bible. Will you not listen? I gave those to you. And he's saying, I am the creator. And with a word, I do that. And with another word, I told him to move. Be in your orbits. And you know what? The earth goes around the sun one time every 24 hours. Do you ever think that that's the power of God and the guidance of the earth's life? Every planet, every star, everything is guided by the word of God. And so he leads Abram out and says, Look, can you count them? Can you know? By my word I make you a promise. So shall the seed of your descendants be from within you. Will you trust me now?
that you know I am creator and that's the power that stands within my word. So will you not go to my word? Will you not read it? Will you not study it? And will it not be powerful in your life if you will let it? So then, that's the question for us. Are we going to trust in God? Are we going to allow His Word to guide our life? And so then the next verse, verse 4 says, or verse 6 says this, And Abram believed in the Lord, and the Lord counted it unto him as righteousness. Oh my, you see what patience and love the Lord has with him? After being upbraided and, where's my reward? Where's, how can you be my shield if you can't even give me a child? Well, a lot of times our prayers aren't on his time schedule. He, he, he's got a different one than we got. But you've got to trust. That's where he's testing us. You've got to trust in me and wait and know that I have the power to do it. Will you trust me now? Look at the stars. Believe. That I can do it for you. And so then it says he believed in the Lord. And the Lord counted it as righteousness. That word believed is amen in the Hebrew. It's where we get amen. And you know what it means? It means to rest. To be supported upon. To have a support. To be confirmed by something. When you say amen... It's when you are confirming what is said as being true. So what this is saying is he believed in those words of God. That he has the power, the might, and the ability. When he saw the stars and he understood that the God that I serve, I am his child. And the God that I serve is the creator of heaven and earth and all of those stars. And if he has the power to do that, He has the power to grant me. And in Romans, it says that even though he was 85, he's not going to have a child for another 15. He's going to wait 25 years on that promise. But starting at this point, the book of Romans says that when God told him, you will have a seed from your loins, and he took him out and showed him the stars and his power that was there, that it says that Abraham staggered not at the promise of God, even though his body was dead sexually. He said he staggered not because he knew that the Lord God was creator and that he was able to provide and that if he spoke a word he can make that which is dead come alive again and bear a child and he trusted in that for the next 15 years but he still had doubts Ishmael comes along there's still times of doubt but you know what the point I'm making here is this for you and I it said he's the father of our faith didn't it and yet he's doubting He has fears. He needs to be taken outside and shown the stars. He has to wait 25 years for a promise. And he's the father of our faith. What about us? When are we going to say, you know what, I'm going to wait. I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to amen. I'm going to believe and lay it in your hands. And I'm going to rest it there and give it to you. And that's what I want to start teaching you. The promises of God that you can rest in. You know what? I googled that too. How many promises are there? Oh, I forgot to tell you. When, he's, when the Lord says, can you count them? After it gave me that there's one to the 24th power of stars, I said, how long does it take to count that? And Google came back with 
31,000 and some odd years, almost 32,000 years. If you'd go one, two, three, it would take you 32,000 years. You can't count them. That's the power of our God. And that's the power that he says is in my word. Now, that was one promise to Abram. And the Lord counted it as righteousness when he believed it. Do you know that there's 7,487 promises to man in the word of God? One, one man on his 27th reading through the Bible decided to find out how many promises there were. And it took him a year and a half to go through and document them. And that's what he came up with. So we'll just stick that number out there. It, they're only good in this life, folks. This, these promises are good for time as we know it right now. And they're there. Abram had one and it counted him as righteousness. We've got 7,487. So I want to start you on a few of these promises. I want to teach you how to start resting in faith. That amen, that he believed in God, means to rest in faith that those things are true and confirm it and allow the Lord to handle your business, okay? We're going to start with Romans 8.28. And I think you ought to start developing a promise notebook. Write them down, copy them down on, from your computer and paste, whatever it takes Underline them in your Bible and just write the book and chapter and verse, whatever. But start you a promise notebook so that you can, can rely on these and use them. Because they're only like clothes. You can only use them if you got them on. You know, we don't want to run out there naked in the world without the promises of God. You got to put them on to use them. You got to know them to use them. The first one, Romans 8.28, is a catch-all promise you can use this for any situation because what does it say up there we got to know something what do they want us to know all things work together for good to those that love the lord to those who are called according to his purpose so the children of god have a promise from god that all things work together for good all things are not good that's not what it says are they all things are not good You've got things going on. All things are not good. But he promises I can take all things and work them together for your good. That's the God that we're serving. That goes to anything. All means all. All things. If you place that in the Lord's hands, he says I can work it for good if you walk in my ways according to my purpose. So when things are bad though and we got this bad situation that we're praying for all things to start working together for good in my life, go to 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 7. Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. There's a promise. The Lord loves you. He died for you. He cares for you. He says, cast those cares that you have on me because I care for you. And he also As a side note, don't want you to take them back. He don't want you to be an Indian giver and say, Lord, I'm going to take those burdens back and I'm just going to worry about them anyway. No. Cast them on him and let them go. That's a promise. And then it says in verse 10 after that, that the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ, after we've suffered a little while in this, he will make you perfect, established, strengthened, And he will settle 
you. He will allow things to filter down and settle if you believe in this promise and give it to Him. Oh, we've got an Old Testament version too of cast your cares upon Him in Psalm fifty-five twenty-two. Cast thy burden upon the Lord. That word's like a backpack. That's like... I don't know how many of you is in the service and had to go on bivouac and put that big old pack on your back and walk 20 miles. But that's what this word means. It means that backpack that has all of your problems and all of your cares and all of your worries. And it says, take that burden and cast them upon the Lord and He is the one that will sustain you. He will never suffer the righteous to be moved. How about that for a promise? He's guaranteeing you that. Take him up on it. Fear not, Isaiah says. I am with you. Be not dismayed. This is one of your favorites, isn't it? Yeah, I know. It's a promise of God. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. I am thy God. I am the one that created the stars. Remember those. Yea, I will strengthen thee. I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold you with the right hand of power of my righteousness. Are you hurting in your mind? Is it things driving you crazy and that anxiety and the fears and the things are going crazy? Tell you the one that I had to do. I turned it into a song. I made made a song out of Three prayer promises that I would sing all the time to comfort me and to settle my mind when I would get to the point where I wanted to beat my head on the concrete. Yeah, I've been there. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. Thou will keep in perfect peace those whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusts in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Do you want peace? Do you want your mind to be at ease? Keep your mind stayed on Him. Trust in Him. He will sustain you and He will uphold you. For in Him is power to sustain you. How about this one? Deuteronomy 31, 6 and 8. Be strong. Be of good courage. Fear not. Nor be afraid of them or anyone, for the Lord is thy God. He it is that doth go with thee. He won't fail you. He won't forsake you. And the Lord it is that doth go before you into everything. He will be with you. He will not fail thee, forsake thee. Fear not, neither be dismayed. Now there's, there's seven promises at least. To get you started with. We had Ephesians 3 that we tossed in there in verse 20. He can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask for things. You've only got 7,480 to look up now to claim as your own. I gave you seven or eight. But question is, are we going to believe them? Are we going to practice them? Are we going to, as Abraham, believe and rest in those things and give them to God and trust in Him? And move on with their life. So as our worship team returns on up. And we, and we close this lesson out. The Lord is imploring you and I today folks. To trust in his promises. To rely upon him and let him do the work for you. Not that we don't ever do anything. We've got to walk in his ways. And we've got to seek what's right. And we've got to try 
to do what comes in our way, just like Abram had trained men and he went and did something. But it says, Melchizedek told him, the Lord was with you and granted you the victory. He didn't want you to just sit and say, well, I gave it to you, Lord. No, we are active in faith, but we've gave it to him and we've stopped worrying about it. We've left it in his care. Remember, this example of Abram is our example as a father of faith for life and for what we do. We've got to place our trust in Him 100%. And it doesn't mean that we're going to have, not have difficult days. But what it means is that when we have a difficult day, we can take it to Him and trust that He hears and that He has got it. And in His time schedule, He is going to handle it for us. And I implore you, next time you can't sleep, next time you've got a difficulty, and you're wondering how it's going to be handled, go outside. Look up at the stars. Every night you can remember the greatness and the power of God that is at work in you. And I pray that you will take this lesson. You will take these promises. And like I said, real faith is what becomes real to you. I pray that these things become real to you. And you will rely upon them in your life. Let's pray. Father, I'm humbled and never cease to be amazed at the grace and love and power of your word. The things that you want us 